Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, this is Amanda Georgioff hosting on my own today without Jeremy Donovan. So wish me luck. (laughs) I am delighted today to be joined by Ashley Welch. Ashley is the co-founder of Somersault Innovation, which is a sales enablement firm. She has two decades of experience in sales leadership previously before Somersault working with Interaction Association. She is a runner. She is a mother. She is a recent empty nester. And I am delighted to introduce her to our Hey Salespeople Network today. We're going to cover a lot of topics. Ashley, happy Friday. Oh, hi, Mandy. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. It's Friday. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. Well, Ashley, when you and I were doing a little bit of prep in advance for this call, one of the first things that came up is this idea. One of the focus areas of Somersault is this concept of really great discovery. And you and I both have 20 plus years of experience in sales and man, discovery feels like just an evergreen topic. Every year is the top of every leader's list of things they want to get good at. Why aren't people doing good discovery? I think it's actually more to do with us as humans that keep us from great discovery because as salespeople, we're paid to close, right? So we're oriented towards the close and we start to have something like this bias towards listening for what I can solve. And as soon as I hear that, I'm like, boom, great. I think I've got something that can fix your problem. And I don't stay wide and don't do really deep discovery. Uh, there's a lot, also a lot of pressure in sales. Like there's the organizational pressure. If it's a public company, shareholder pressure, right? So there's all this additional pressure in addition to what you have on your own to actually close and move on. How do you see the best sellers balance that sort of short-term pressure that they have to close a deal with that long-term voice in the back of your head that says, don't push it, play the long game, play the long game, get the bigger deal. Like, how do you see the best sellers balance that? First of all, they're thoughtful. Just even asking that question of how do I balance that and look at my portfolio, if they have a portfolio to say, where's sort of my run rate business where I know what this is going to be. I know what I can get. I feel like I have a good relationship. I don't need to do greater discovery right now. Whereas these other things are worth investing in, in my time and in terms of the partnership that I can build by doing that. So I think part of it is just being really thoughtful about your portfolio and making choices about where you invest your time. Yeah. What does really good discovery look like? Tactically. Yes. First of all, I think great discovery starts with a mindset shift. Designers or design thinkers have this orientation of customer centricity. They're always thinking about the customer first. What does the customer care about? So I think that that is the first thing that makes for good discovery. So I'm going to go in sort of rapidly curious to understand everything I can about you, my customer, and even your customer's customer, and do very focused delivery of sort of finding ways to put myself in your shoes, whether I'm doing interviews, whether I'm doing what you would call a chair side, you know, and trying to say, hey, can you show me exactly what you do? Do your discovery in those areas. So I think, you know, what a customer will say if you've done great discovery is, wow, it feels like you work for me. 
So uh, we started Somersault seven years ago and we started because we just had fallen in love with this methodology because it's human centered. It's very creative. It's in, around innovation. It's what you do to create something by starting with first caring about what your end user or customer cares about. And so when we started, started just to be teachers and coaches of this, um, it usually design thing usually lives in a product development or an innovation center, right? Not in sales. We said, well, wait a second. There are a lot of these tools and methodologies that would be great in a seller's environment. What we've done is said, well, what can we borrow from the world of design and give to sellers to make them even more effective? And so we borrowed some of the tools from for around discovery to help, like I think about helping sellers be more ethnographers of their customer. So what do they do? What do they listen for? What kind of questions do they ask? How do they pay attention to things? How do they find unmet needs and motivations, right? All these things that as sellers, like, geez, if we can figure that out about our customer, that's gold. Another tool would be you know, just like a very basic, like envisioning, running an envisioning session. So how do we envision together the future? Like, what would it look like? And just the simple process for what would that look like? How could I whiteboard that and facilitate that? You know, it's not rocket science here. It's just that these are codified processes in the world of design thinking that sellers can use. Got it. Got it. You talked a little bit about this sort of co-creative motion. I think you said this is something you're seeing what is this? What is this new trend around sort of co-creating value that you're seeing with enterprise sellers and customers? So co-creation is just like it sounds like working together to create something. You know, traditionally in sales, it's been this buyer uh, seller dynamic, which could be adversarial and can feel like one sided, like you buy from me, you know, you say yes or no, I'm in or out versus a more co-creative, like we're actually in this together. Like if I put you to the buyer seller in a room in the dark, you'd need each other to figure out how to get out. So what we're seeing at the top of these big organizations like Microsoft, IBM, Salesforce, is that what they're able to offer to the customer and what the customer is asking for, like let's say if FedEx was saying, okay, I want information for every touch point on a package that Ashley Waltz sends from Whalen, Massachusetts to New Delhi, India. So every touch point along the way, we're going to collect data and we're going to be able to tell real time to do that is so complex. And so we need each other in that case, the buyer and the seller need each other really to figure out what's the opportunity here and what's the solution. And so it demands each other. It can no longer be like, well, let me just tell you what you were going to do. Yeah. Tactically, talk to me about like what co-creation looks like as an AE. I'm thinking to myself, I want to do this. How do I, <laughs> how, do, how would I get started, right? Like I were an AE and I wanted to approach an account. So to be a customer is exactly like it sounds. So if, you're, if your target customer is a retailer, then this is easy. You can, let's say it's the Gap. I don't even know if they still exist. I assume they do. You can walk into a retail store, buy something, and you can return it, right? You're a customer. You can talk to your friends who do the same thing, ask them about their experience. So in a B2C environment, that's very easy to be a customer. It's even easy yeah. if it's insurance, banking. I also think like if you just put your like the thinking cap on of like, okay, I'm going to figure out what the customer experience mm -hmm. is. Go online, look at customer SAT reports. Are yeah. there any customer forums? Like there's so much online now that you can start to access information okay. pretty easily. 
So we're, we're early in the process. We've decided that this is an account that merits that. You have a hypothesis that there is significant potential. When we've got that hypothesis that we take to our first call, I imagine, right? Yeah. Just one thing I want to say about that discovery motion. Two things. One is to let go of what you're selling in that discovery. Just be open. If you're only related to understanding things that you solve for, you're going to miss a lot. And secondarily, instead of just looking, the orientation has become a problem finder. Find other problems in the system. So in talking to a large client this morning, she was talking about, can you help us, you know, figure out our customer journey? We want to do all this research on it. And in talking to her, I was like, yes, we absolutely can. But my belief is once we get in there, we're going to be helping you understand not only what their customer journey is, but what it could be. And maybe you're not actually part of that entire customer journey with them. So let's just stay open to what we learn. And then we're going to figure out how you are going to work together with your customer. So by understanding the whole, and then you start to see various issues or opportunities, you can have a much broader sort of partner or trusted advisor type conversation. Right. It's this idea of, hey, I have an idea here. Let me tell me where I'm off track. Tell me which pieces of this look right to you. And it demonstrating credibility and you're earning that trust up front. And then I would imagine it takes us, obviously we're fast forwarding a little bit to the part where we're co-creating or does that co-creation happen early? I mean, first of all, again, it's this orientation. So if I'm selling to you, I'm thinking, how fast can I get your sort of engagement with me and your fingerprints on what we're talking about. So I want to come with you to you with a hypothesis and say, you know, tell me what's right about this and what you would change. Did I get this right? Even if you say, absolutely, it's not right at all, but this is what I'm more interested in. Great. Bring it on. Cause now I've got more information and we're starting to work together. So we're starting to work together to define the problem and opportunity. And then we start to say, okay, well, let's talk about Uh, how we could work together to solve that. Basically, again, thinking about AEs, I hear this idea of like, let's co-create something with my customer. It sounds amazing and strategic. What am I doing? Yes. Okay. You know, the tools you're using, as much as you can be in person, great. If you can't be, you're on Zoom, you're doing it face-to-face. You know, like I can see, we can see each other. That's very helpful. And then we might be co-creating, let's say, an understanding of what kind of goals and metrics are we going for here? Like we have, we've identified this problem. Let's say the problem is um, you don't have a consistent way to sell in the organization. So we've identified this problem and we've identified that like, if we could get everybody to consistently sell in a way that is more collaborative and doing better discovery, of course, I'm using my own example, then we're going to increase revenue and pipeline. So a co-creative motion would be, let's get on a whiteboard together. I'm going to map out what I understand to be the opportunity and some of the goals. And I want, I want you to come in with me and then tweak these so they really match what you're going for. And we sort of talk about it and revise it based on what you now, you, the customer, believe to be true and you're most interested in. Does this feel like work to the buyer? I don't think so. I mean, well, I just think like as I'm describing it, I'm like, this isn't exactly novel. It's just that because there's so much pressure in our organizations, a back to this sort of pressure and like get it done and you you owe me 50K by the end of the week kind of doggedness that I think we're like, that takes so much time. 
Like I know what I can get them. And, you know, I move us along as fast as I can. And I, it takes longer. It does take longer sometimes to have this level of involvement, but it is so worth it. Let's say even in terms of the solutioning of it, once we agree on what the problem is and what are the metrics of success, I might lay something out and say, you know, from what I understand, these are the elements that are of interest to you. Again, on a whiteboard, face-to-face or virtually, what else would you like to include? Who else should I talk to to make sure that I have got this? Uh, as you know, you know, we will sometimes set up what be a tiger team or cross-functional team on the customer's side to say, work with us to help develop the solution. So we really get the language right. We're spot on in terms of who we're working with and how, and it's integrated into what you want to see in your organization. And one of the things, you know, when I asked you that question earlier about like, does this feel like work for the buyer? My guess is that if it feels like work or irrelevant work for the buyer, you're probably not focused on the right thing with them. It's probably a good qualification exercise because if you are helping them make progress against a problem they truly care about, they're doing this work anyway. They're going to get to do it with you. Exactly. If you're solving the right problem for them, then the work they're doing is work they would have to do anyway. But they're just inviting you in to hopefully help them get to a solution faster. Exactly. Do you both feel like you're on the same team? Like if you asked your buyer, like, are they on your team? Are you psyched to be on the field with them? You know, you, of course you want the answer to be yes. I'm such an empathetic seller. And I think that that, that has been a big part of my success over the years. It really is just that feeling. And it's so hard to quantify and it's hard to coach and it's hard to teach. But you do, you just want the buyer to feel feel as though you're on their team. I will say, I feel like sales in general is evolving in this direction. The more sellers I meet, and I'm a hiring manager and we're growing, so I interview a lot of sellers. I see good sellers, this is becoming the way maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it became, it, it maybe was newer to do this level of research on a company and reading financial statements and all that. I don't, I, I don't know like when all of these things came into fashion, but I do feel like the best sellers I see are demonstrating this very customer-centric, very bespoke, particularly at market when we're talking about doing big deals, right? Like there's probably, you know, for high velocity sellers, it, and, and truthfully, the buyer doesn't want to do all of this discovery exactly. on, this, on, on these more high velocity problems they're trying to solve. But good enterprise sellers, they are operating like this. This is becoming more fashionable. It's a segue into another question that I wanted to ask you, which is just, like you meet with AEs all the time and, and AEs from different companies. So I talk to AEs all the time, but mine are mostly my AEs. You meet with AEs from so many different companies. Like, what are you hearing? Yeah, I just had this fascinating conversation two days ago. We run a round table for AEs and, and they come from these big companies, like primarily tech. And these are all hotshot sellers. And so one of them is living this van life. So three years ago, she proposed to her tech company, I want to live the van life. I want to cross the country every which way and live wherever I want. And I will still be accountable for all the the work that I promise I will do. And they said, okay. So that was the segue into the conversation with this group because she was like, she had a hat on and the backdrop was a lake and she was clearly in Montana or somewhere. And so this group all started to talk about the fact that it's sort of like, I called it like the me LLC. It's now like, it's more and more as sellers to be like, okay, I'm starting to understand 
what actually works for me and what's going to bring out the best in me and what's going to motivate me. And I'm sort of developing my confidence in actually asking for that. And so I think I'm seeing more autonomy on the seller's part and more confidence to say, I'm actually going to ask for what I want. And if this doesn't work for you, employer, I might move somewhere else because right now, great sellers are in high demand. And that was just that was the next question I was going to ask is like, as an organization, if, if sellers, this whole idea of me, LLC, and I'm going to live where I want, and I'm going to live the life I want, I'm going to work the hours I want. And as long as I'm producing on behalf of my customers, delivering the results for my company, I've earned the right to do that. Then as a company, how do I retain these people? Yeah. Well, I think it's a little bit around, can you stay connected to what your employees want? Like, can you really hear them and respond to that? We were talking about some, I think it's Google and Amazon who've just started to say like, people need to come back to work. And so part of the conversation was like, wait a second, like COVID was this catalyst for us to say, I don't necessarily want to be at work and I can do just as well not at work. So why are you making me do that? I think the organization, the organization, the employer really needs to listen, listen to what your employees are asking for, ask them what motivates them and then be responsive. It's so funny that don't you find in my experience, and I was an IC for gosh, what felt like forever for the bulk of my career, I was an IC. I've been a leader for about two years, but I find that my success in coaching and developing my team, it's not that different of emotion than what was making me successful as a seller. As a seller, I was really focused on listening to my customer and listening to my prospect and delivering for them and co-creating with them and making it all about them. And making sure that I was aligned with their North Star and the things that they needed to get done. And now I've just turned that inward. And so now it's just about for each of my AEs, it's about understanding I have eight of them right now, each of them individually. Right? And so it's all about like, what does this one care about versus that one? And what's the North Star for each person? And how do I listen to them? And how do I, how do I show up for them? How do I earn credibility with them? How do I parrot back some of the things that they've said to me before? Because then I'm showing up for them and I'm, I'm proving that I listened and I'm proving that I, there's a, there's a lot of debate, right? About like, do good sellers make good leaders, right? Do good ICs necessarily translate into leadership? And that's been surprising. The motion has been in some ways the same. It's been transferable. I took what made customers and prospects attached to me and applied it internally. Yeah. And of course, anyone listening would say, well, how do you scale that? Right. So you have eight right now, and then you have 25 and then you have 50. Right. So I think it is an interesting question because I think you're absolutely right. And your A's are so fortunate to have you, right. Who is paying so much attention to them and trying to be so oriented to what they care about. You know, one of these sellers that I was talking about in this roundtable, Maddie, she said, I came to my next uh, organization that I wanted to work for with a Google Doc that said, this is me. This is how I like to work. This is what I would like from my employer. This is what motivates me. This is the way I'm most often misunderstood. And so I was like, geez, you, Maddie, you just came up with that on your own. If I was a leader, I'm going to take that Google Doc and I'm going to give it to everyone in my AEs and say, hey, could you fill that out for me? That element there of these are the ways in which I am misunderstood. I don't think I've ever thought about that, but now I kind of want to do that for myself. 
I love that it's, uh, again, a great segue to this other piece that I had written down in preparation for talking with you about you run a group called She Sells by Design. So you take this design thinking principle and concept and apply it to workshops just for women sellers. Tell me a little bit about, I guess, your catalyst for creating this group and kind of what's been special about it for you. Mm. Well, the catalyst was I was down in Dallas and I was doing a presentation at a university, University of uh, Houston. And I was flying home on United Airlines, my head against the side of the window. And I was like, damn it, it is just all men. And um, I was like, we need to do something for women and convene groups of women so that there's more sort of equity in this profession. So it was the idea was born to do something for women and that what we were going to do in terms of the skills we were going to transfer aren't any different. You were there, right? So it was the same idea of like, we're teaching the same skills and tools, but the conversation was different because I wanted to make sure that in the afternoon that there would be time for us just to connect as women in sales, which is unique, and talk to other women leaders who have been in sales to say, what's your experience been? What can we learn from you? And most often people have been incredibly honest and transparent about their journey there's something about the sales culture, the original sales culture, which I think is changing, but the original sales culture that was very male, that sort of was very aggressive, like Wall Street-ish, I'm going to say misogynistic, that some of those characteristics still exist in different sales environments, not all, but some. And so, you know, some of the stories that I would hear would be men on the other side of the table saying, you know, hey, babe, do you come with the software package? Literally. Unbelievable. I mean, what? You know, so some of the conversations are things like that, that still exist and that you sort of can't believe it does. But, and and I think what gets hard as, you know, this is the conversation of women in leadership, women in organizations is like, okay, so what do you do if you're that female seller? You don't want to lose your job. You know, your money's on the line. If this person, this man signs the deal, you're getting paid. So are you willing to look away, basically? And I, I read so often, and I, I felt this as a woman going through this in my in my thirties when I when I was, you know, starting a family. Right? There's so I mean, gosh, we could have a whole separate conversation about you know maternity leave and policies there are policies that are very progressive and are written for the whole company, recognizing that sales is unique and that it's not project work, right? What works for HR or engineering or product or marketing as a maternity leave policy will not work for sales. And I don't yet see companies designing nuanced maternity leave. Yes, for sellers. For sellers. Because you honestly, and, and I think it's wonderful that I see so many companies that are very progressive as it relates to family leave policies, right? And paternity leave policies and adoption leave policies. And I see so much progress there, which is exciting. I'm not yet seeing enough in terms of nuances for policies that will be written for sellers and for enterprise sellers where their sales cycles are so long. Long, right? And yes. And what are you walking away from your portfolio and those relationships? And and who even has skin in the game to manage that for you for, you know, for four months while you're out. So we could have an entire podcast on this actually, but... (laughs) But I, I did want to, I, you know, I met you through one of those She Sells by Design workshops. That's when you and I first met years ago in Austin. And I was curious, sort of some of the themes that you're hearing from that group. Yeah. You know, we haven't done it, you know, since COVID started. Um, and 
I sort of don't really want to start again until we're together again. So this, cause there's so much power and actually being face to face. But I think the other theme, you know, which again is sort of this classic theme of how we need to help each other and how we need to mentor each other, uh, women mentoring women in organizations. And yet sometimes that gets dicey when there are only a few slots Right. And so are we competing with each other or are we helping each other? It's that growth, that mindset of abundance versus scarcity. Yes, that scarcity mindset will get you every time if you feel like if somebody else gets something, there's less for me. And I, but you know, I will tell you, I have been so inspired by, and I was just the hour prior to this on a call, an interview with a, a guy, a male candidate. And when I asked him about, like, you know, tell me a story of the best leader you've worked with. I, I hear so many men talking about female leaders that they've had, and I love hearing that. I love hearing um, more about some of what, what has been impactful, you know, that is unique in leadership. So that's been exciting. As we've had so many interesting threads today about why are we still having this conversation? I, but I loved so much of what we talked about around what does great discovery look like? What does great co-creation look like? that concept of me LLC, right? So what are some of the themes that we're hearing from great enterprise sellers right now? Um, Thank you for coming. Uh, Yes, anytime. If folks wanted to get in touch with you, Ashley, how would they do so? Yes, somersaultinnovation.com and somersault, I'm probably guilty of this myself before the company, most people misspell it. It's M-S-O-M-E-R. S-A-U-L-T, and then innovation <laughs> with not plural. I'm also on LinkedIn, Ashley Welch, Somersault Innovation. Please reach out. I'd love to talk to anybody and everybody. I love it. This was so much fun catching up with you and talking about so many topics that, that seem disparate, but actually have so many common threads binding them together. So thank you for joining me today on Hey Salespeople. I hope that I did Jeremy proud, my first time flying solo on one of these. Um, so thanks so much, Ashley, and have a terrific weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.